Well, thank you so much, Nigel and Kirsty, for the uh, that epic reading. If you um, want to grow in your Christian life, I recommend getting used to the habit of listening to God's words. Uh, download it on iTunes from an app or something, and just listen, listen in the car, listen in the mornings, listen as you're brushing your teeth on your phone. You can walk around the house a bit playing from your phone. It's just good for us to absorb the Scripture. So thank you for listening to that. Let's stand, though, to pray, uh, to sort of shake off the... Uh, that lethargy bit. Father, thank you so much that you speak to us through Scripture and through the spoken and preached Word. And we pray that right now you'll still our hearts enough that we can hear the voice of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're talking about being a blessing today. There you go. Uh, it's not in the uh, biggest currency in our society, is it? We say, bless you after a sneeze. We say something like, oh, you're a real blessing to me, as a sort of a throwaway thing. But in the passage that we're looking at, and in Scripture as a whole, blessing is a dynamic, magnificent, transformative, world-changing thing. And the blessing that we're talking about in this passage is the blessing of Abraham imparted through his son to his grandchildren. And the blessing of the man Abraham, if you've been following our, our series in church over this year or on, online, uh, the Bible overview that we're doing on Fridays, is the blessing that's going to change the world. One man was singled out and said, your offspring are going to change everything. From your line will one day come a Messiah who's going to make this whole messed up, ruined world right again. And we see that his offspring ain't that good. (laughs) Here he has Isaac. Now, Isaac is not your model parent. It's, It's taught by Kenneth Bailey that actually Isaac... Jacob and Esau is probably the model that's been subverted in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, Isaac is not the father in the prodigal son story. It's a subversion of who he is as the prodigal son story fuses good mother and good father together in one parental figure and says this is what God's like. But here we have a messed up man and a messed up wife and some messed up siblings messing up everything. And you sort of think, if you're going to choose any family to bless God, not this one, surely. And that might give you hope for your family life or your history personally as you look in at yourself at Christmas dinner tables or other things and think, crikey, because God really got a plan for us. (laughs) Here's Isaac. He's old. His eyes are going. He can't really tell what's going on. He thinks he's about to die. Actually, it's probably two decades till he dies, so he's one of those sort of slightly hypochondriac older folk as well. Uh, and and he's, he calls for his favorite son, Esau, his favorite son, the son who was what he wanted to be himself, the son who was athletic, the son who was sporty, the son who was a hunter, the son who had got his two wives already and was taking more by the hand. His playboy son. He calls Esau. Come here. I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die. Get your weapons. Get me a meal. Get it ready. I'm going to give you my blessing before I die. Now this blessing is a dynamic thing that's going to change everything. We know that because if you look later on in the story, when the blessing's gone to younger child Jacob, the younger twin, he doesn't just say, right, I can take that back from you. He doesn't just say, I'm going to haul that back from you. He doesn't say, I blessed you wrongly, curse you now. No, the blessing's gone out. It's already changed everything. 
The idea of a blessing is dynamic and transformative. And once it's gone, it changes things. And Jacob is desperate for this blessing. And actually, Jacob is almost every person, isn't he? Because we spend our lives, psychologists, good psychologists and screwed up psychologists, most of them are probably screwed up psychologists, tell us looking for that blessing, looking for that affirmation. Even in the womb, Jacob wanted to come out first, didn't he? Grabbing at the foot, trying to get out before the twin. Even in the womb, it was prophesied over him that he would rule over his brother and his brother would serve him. His mother may have told him that. He wants the blessing. Why does he want the blessing? Because every time he's walked past Father Isaac, Isaac's not quite had that same look in his eye to him as he had for big brother Esau. How many of us suffer from this in our lives, whether with a sibling, whether in a relationship, whether in work, whether in a social context where we're the one who's overlooked and they seem to have it so easy. And if only we could get the affirmation from that father figure, if only they would look at us and say, yeah, you're it, you're my firstborn. How much couch time in therapist offices is dedicated to this lack of self-worth? That so many of us, maybe all of us, experience to some degree or other. We're screwed up because <laughs> we're longing for affirmation. And Jacob will do literally anything to get it. He dresses up with his mother's help in his brother's clothing. He makes a stew with his mother's help that will help persuade Isaac that he is actually Esau. He goes in and when Isaac says, who is it? He says, it's Esau, your firstborn. And we know in the Hebrew that the last word in the sentence is the important one. So he hurries through the lie. It's Esau. Your firstborn, to what he believes is true, because as you heard last week, he's stolen the birthright. And he hurries in. He's lying to his father because he's desperate for his father's approval. And then his father says, who is it again? Smells him. Says, oh, you're Esau. I can smell that you're Esau. And holds him close like he's longed to be held his whole lifetime and speaks blessing over him, thinking that it's his brother. What an empty blessing. What an empty blessing, psychologically. Finally, he's looking at me and loving me the way I've always wanted to be loved. Finally, he's staring at me through his fading eyes and speaking words of affirmation over me. Finally, he's for me. Finally. But he doesn't think it's me. He thinks it's my brother. (laughs) What happens next? Esau comes back in. Isaac realizes that Rebecca's helped to lie to him. Marriage goes even further down the tube. Esau's angry, shelled up by anger. He wants to kill his brother. Jacob has to flee and has to leave the mother who's loved him from the womb more than his brother and never sees her again until she dies. Everything goes wrong. But yet, this blessing's so powerful, it still passed down Jacob's life. Isaac can't take it 
back. He is now the recipient of the firstborn blessing. He's the recipient of the promise. And from Jacob will come 12 sons. And from those 12 sons will be 12 tribes. And from those sons, not through the eldest son actually, but through one of the younger ones, will come the line that becomes Jesus. The blessing is powerful and effective. What does this totally messed up story teach us? (laughs) The family's a mess, isn't it? As you read through Genesis, it's clear that the narrator of the story likes Esau more than Jacob. And Esau's a total disaster. (laughs) There's nothing very good about Esau. He chucks away a three and a half million pound inheritance, say, for a three pound fifty bowl of stew. (laughs) There's nothing commendable about this man. His mother's fed up to the back teeth of him. At the end of the passage, she's tearing her hair out, saying, if he keeps going on like this, I wish I was dead. He ain't a great hero, but Jacob's even worse. (laughs) This deceptive, sly twisted up grabber striver who will put on clothing to pretend he's someone else because he wants his father's blessing what does the passage teach us well it says if you're doing family don't do it like this (laughs) but that's just the beginning because actually when we look around our context our culture our country our time our hearts don't we oftentimes dress up in different clothes, with different faces, <laughs> to try and get approval of those around us. <laughs> Don't we? Don't we hide things from even our closest loved ones because we're not sure that we would still have their blessing <laughs> if they knew who we were? <laughs> Don't we very quickly learn in our lives to edit what we tell our parents? <laughs> Because we're fearful that we'll have their affirmation. If you look in the study notes for this week, uh, there's a story at the beginning about how teenagers, uh, totally unconvinced they've got any of their parents' affirmation in their lives, read it in the study notes. We hide all the time like Jacob. And others help us to hide as Rebecca helped Jacob. We're desperate to belong. We're desperate for love, exception, and valuing but we don't believe that we're worth it. In some ways, it's realistic, isn't it? (laughs) There's stuff about us that isn't lovely. So into the New Testament. Jesus does what Rebecca says she will do for Jacob. He says, let the curse fall on me. I'll take the curse for you so you can get the Father's blessing. Jesus also provides us with a new set of clothing. He says, I'll take your filthy clothing and you can wear my firstborn clothing, my righteous robes. And then you can go to the Father God as me, imputed, imparted with my righteousness and receive the blessing that belongs to me. Isn't that amazing? But psychologically, you might be thinking, well, this doesn't add up to enough for me. Because isn't it that when you've got siblings or there's multiple ones of you at work or trying to get the credit from the same boss, that actually what you don't want is to be of equal worth with your siblings or your colleagues. You want to be singled out, don't you? You want the praise in front of those people that says you're super special to me. You're the firstborn. Some of us strive all our lives to please parents who have already died. (laughs) Because we're desperate to fill this deficit in our lives. That's pretty common. Pleasing the dead parent. 
The deficit's so deep in us. We want to be the special one. And this is the miracle of the gospel. Evangelists will often say in their sort of stadium tours, if it was only you, Jesus would still have died for you. And of course, that's a horribly individualistic way of thinking about the universe. It's all about me, Lord. It's all about me. You'd have died for me. And yet, this story and teaching on firstborn in scriptures tells us something utterly radical. And this is just the most amazing thing to get your head around. In Hebrews 12, 23, it says that we are the church of, I wonder if anyone knows, the church of the firstborn. The firstborn. When you are adopted into God's family, he somehow makes us all the firstborn. He can look at you and go, yeah, you are so loved, so precious, so valuable, so special. You are adored. You're my apple of my eye. That's what Moses said, God said about Jacob in the book of Deuteronomy. You're the apple of my eye. God can look at you and say, you're the firstborn. Along with your brother Jesus and all of them. He's got enough love that it's non-divisible, it's just (laughs) multi-divisible. You're precious, you're blessed. And the blessing that we're longing for from our parents, however good they were, never added up to enough to fill all the gap in our lives because they didn't know everything about us. But the blessing of Father God is big enough for our deepest needs. And it's big enough for their deepest needs as well out in the community, on the planes that we'll travel on this week, in the trains, on the tube, in our workplaces, in our schools and colleges, in our homes. It's the big enough affirmation that everyone needs. You're loved, you're accepted, and you are really, really, truly, truly valued. Esau comes in and says, can I have a blessing? And there is a blessing for him as well. But the blessing of the firstborn is your inheritance as followers of Jesus. Is that not wonderful? There's someone who knows you utterly, not because you've tricked them, not because you've conned God that you were somehow good, not because you've conned God that your good deeds and bad deeds weighed each other up, but because he's graciously, radically, almost unbelievably chosen you to be his firstborn child, even if you didn't deserve it. That's how loved you are by the God of grace, undeservedly chosen to be his firstborn. Folks, if we are that blessed, let's let the blessing flow out to the community. Let's stand, shall we, to receive his blessing today. Just one or two people, I think, probably here into this, finding it almost impossible to hear the truth of the words that are being said. It's like a hold on you, preventing you from believing that that could be true of you. May God break that hold now in the name of Jesus. 
the truth might flow into your mind and your heart and your soul. In Jesus' name. And may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit flow to you throughout this service and throughout this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.